You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 42. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. This is going to be kind of an unusual episode because at this moment, Mel and I are in the process of traveling to Wisconsin. So we are not going to have any of the usual intro and outro stuff on this episode. Instead, as I promised last week, I'm going to bring you a standalone short story today. This is a science fiction erotica piece called Last Sunset at the Golden Gate. I originally aired this for the Patreon patrons back in December. And since my agreement with Patreon subscribers is that any new content that I release there is exclusive to the Patreon feed for one month, I figured it's been enough time for me to go ahead and bring it to you guys. This is an erotica story, so it does contain explicit sexual content. So if you're listening in the car with kids, this might be a good time to switch to a different podcast. Last Sunset at the Golden Gate by Chris Lester The sun was sinking toward Mount Tam in a clear blue sky as I set my flyer down on a bare patch of gravel on Grizzly Peak. I shut down the engine and popped the seal on the cockpit. The cool, clean sea air was refreshing after breathing recycled habitat air for so long, and I took in deep lungfuls of the stuff savoring the taste and the feel, trying to sear it into my memory. Maybe if I breathed deeply enough, I could take in enough of it to last a lifetime. My AR display flashed a weather notification in the upper right corner of my vision. I flicked my eyes in that direction and blinked, and the details popped up in a window that superimposed itself over my view of the bay. Mostly clear skies tonight with scattered clouds with a low of 15 degrees Celsius. The fog would roll back in through the Golden Gate come morning. I grabbed my jacket from the flyer's luggage compartment, along with the blanket and my old wicker picnic basket. I'd only used it maybe five or six times in the ten years since I bought it from that artisan in Savannah, but damn it, I was going to get one more use out of it before I had to let it go. I moved a little ways off the road, onto the sloping hillside that ran down Grizzly Peak to the Berkeley Nature Preserve. Some of the remnants of the old UC campus were still down there. The Carolyn Tower, restored to operation for the school's 400th anniversary, and the massive hulk of the American football stadium, split open like an eggshell when the big one hit. Mostly, though, the Berkeley and Oakland Flats were covered in marshlands and live oak forests again, just as they had been when all this belonged to the Ohlone a thousand years ago. There were thousands of water birds down there, egrets and coots and swans and cormorants, and a bunch more that I didn't know. The water was clean, and there were plenty of fish to eat, and all in all it probably seemed like the best time and place to raise their young that a bird could ask for. I sort of envied their ignorance. I laid out the blanket and pulled a beer out of the picnic basket. After taking a few sips, I lay back and soaked up the late afternoon sunlight. I wanted to enjoy every last bit of it that I could. I guess I dozed for a while, because I woke to an incoming message chime. I checked the ID scrolling across the top of my vision, then signaled to open the call. Kai, 
I was afraid you weren't going to show. Hey, Bryn. Kai's voice was warm, inviting, like an old sweater that still fits you after ten years. Sorry, I had a little trouble finding this place. A lot of these hills look the same. Where should I set down? I opened the control menu for my flyer with a flick of my fingertips, then switched on the transponder. Put it down just next to mine, I said. Got it. Be there in a minute. I heard the engine whine of Kai's flyer approaching from the south, and turned my head to watch the little craft come in. Kai touched down light as a feather, and always had been a good pilot. I rose, stretched, and went to meet my old friend. The figure who climbed down from the cockpit certainly bore a resemblance to my memories of ten years ago. Short, slender, ambiguously East Asian, with short, straight black hair and eyes of an arresting reddish-brown. Kai strode over the old, crumbling asphalt toward me, grinning from ear to ear, and the swagger in that step was familiar. But something else was different, and when I realized what it was, I laughed. Kai, you little imp, how long have you been a man? Kai laughed with me and hugged me hard. A little over three years. Just needed a change, you know. He caressed my face with one hand, running a thumb and forefinger over my chin and cheekbone. Or maybe you don't. You're still just as lovely as I remember. I covered his hand with mine. My smile felt like it was turning shy. Hey now, take it easy. We've got all night. We've got one night, Kai agreed. But he lowered his hand to my shoulder and gripped it. It's good to see you. You too. I cleared my throat and gestured to the blanket. I've got some food and beer. Perfect, Kai said and followed me over to the cliffside. We sat down and took out the victuals. Vat beef sandwiches on sourdough with real tomatoes and horseradish, baby green salad with pine nuts and sliced avocado, fresh mangoes, micro-brewed beer. Everything in that basket was as fresh, authentic, and close to homegrown as I could manage. One last feast from the gardens of Mother Earth. We savored our meal, saying little at first, and watching as the sun crept down between Mount Tam and the city. So that's San Francisco, huh? Kai said thoughtfully, around a mouthful of sandwich. I thought it would be bigger. I studied the arcology that rose over the peninsula, a glittering bulb of metal and mirrored glass, supported by swirling, swooping columns that dug deep into ten of the city's forty-four hills. Much of the ancient landfill around those hills had long since fallen below sea level, which left the enormous habitat looking like a giant spider, balanced on a network of tiny islands no bigger than its feet. Beyond the arcology, redwood forests covered much of the land that had once been given over to small wooden houses and squat office buildings of brick and mortar. It's efficient, I said. San Francisco was always compact for an American city. The Arco is just the latest version of that. I gestured down at the nature preserve below us. If we didn't build up, we wouldn't have space for all of this. It is beautiful, Kai admitted. He took a sip of his beer and sighed. One of the top ten places to see before you die. I reached out and gripped his hand. Hey, let's not think about that right now, okay? Let's enjoy this. He looked over at me and forced a smile. Yeah, okay. He paused, thinking. So... What's been keeping you busy the last ten years? I shrugged. 
mostly aesthetic design, making the colony habitats more psychologically comfortable. Humans didn't evolve to live in a box on a hostile planet, you know. We were made for this. I gestured at the mountains, the forests, the sparkling waters of the bay. And we go a little crazy if we don't get it. So I've been working on better ways to trick our brains into thinking we're getting it, or at least something close enough. Kai grimaced. I knew what he was thinking. The work I'd done was about to become a whole lot more useful to a lot more people. But we had agreed not to talk about that, so we changed the subject again. Anyone special in your life? I thought about Amir, feeling again the old, complicated mix of anger, pain, regret, and longing. There was, I said, softly. It didn't work out. You? There was, Kai said, matching my tone. He died, about four years ago. I winced. Oof, I'm sorry, Kai. How did it happen? Kai looked down at his beer. He was a spacer. Long-haul hydrogen runs from Jupiter to Venus. He ran into some uncharted debris while he was climbing back out of the Jovian gravity well. It hit a weak spot in his shielding, sparked the H-tanks. He shook his head. Billion to one chance. The blast killed his engines, and he fell back in. His voice dropped to a whisper. I didn't even get a chance to bury him. I reached over and put a hand on Kai's leg. God, Kai, I can't even imagine. Be glad. Kai sniffed, then took another drink. After that, I had to get away, just cut loose from everything. I did the sex change, then went to live at a Zen monastery in Hanshu. Wow, what did you learn there? Kai snorted. Mostly that I'm not a very Zen person. But it helped for a while. I took a drink and wondered whether to ask what was on my mind. But my curiosity was killing me, and it wasn't like we were going to get another chance, so I didn't wonder for very long. So have you had sex as a man? Kai chuckled. Oh, yes. And? He leaned back, studying me. You know what it feels like when somebody sucks on your clit? Yeah? Imagine it's 25 centimeters long and your whole pussy is rolled up inside it. I stared at him. 25 centimeters? Jeez, you didn't do things halfway, did you? He waggled his eyebrows and grinned at me. Go big or go home, that's what I say. That surprised a laugh out of me. Bullshit, I said, crossing my arms. You're fucking with me. I want to see it. Kai chortled. Oh, really? Yes, really. Come on, Mr. Man. Put up or shut up. Still wearing that grin, Kai set aside his beer. He unfastened his pants and opened the fly, then pulled down his pants and underwear to his knees. His body hair was as scant as it had been when he'd been a woman, which might have been an aesthetic choice, but was probably just the genetics. He spread his legs a little and lifted his new penis for me to see it. It's very nice, I said, but no way is that 25 centimeters. Kai tisked at me. Come on, how many guys have you been with, Bryn? You've got to warm it up first. Oh, yeah? I reached out and traced my fingertips lightly through his little patch of pubic hair. I looked up at his eyes, checking for his consent. He smiled and gave me a tiny little nod. My fingers traced around the base of his shaft, then softly along its length. He was uncircumcised, of course, and I played with the loose hood of flesh, 
twisting it slightly this way and that, noting the points where it was attached and the points where it was free to move. Kai leaned over and kissed me gently on the cheek. I missed your hands, he murmured. You always knew your way around with them. Yeah, well, the map has changed a lot in ten years, I said teasingly. Might take me a while to get my bearings. Take your time, Kai said. He opened his legs a little further, giving me better access. I reached down and cupped his balls in my hand, rolling them gently between my fingers, feeling their firmness inside the loose pouch of skin. I felt the little hairs growing on his scrotum, tickled them lightly with my fingertips. Kai's breath caught, and I saw him arch his back. Good touch? I asked. Good touch, he agreed. I'm just a little ticklish. Mmm. I circled his shaft with my fingers and squeezed. It was definitely thicker now and growing. I pumped my hand up and down, sliding the loose skin over the hardening tissue beneath. Kai let out a happy little sigh. While I continued tending to his wakening cock, I let my other hand explore the rest of him. The muscles of his arms were firm and well-developed, a swimmer's arms, not a bodybuilder's. They'd been much the same when Kai had been a woman, though the hands had certainly changed. I missed Kai's old breasts. They were cute and perky, and made her mew like a kitten when I sucked her nipples. But the new Kai's sleek, masculine chest was nice, too. I let go of his cock with my other hand, unbuttoned his shirt and spread it open, exposing his smooth, hairless chest. I ran my hands over his pecs and down to his flat, toned stomach, enjoying the warmth of his skin on mine. Oh, Bryn, Kai sighed. I pushed him back onto the blanket and straddled his stomach. I shrugged out of my jacket, then let my body sink down against his, running both hands up his chest. I'm here, I whispered, and lowered my lips to his. My shoulder-length red hair fell in curtains on either side of his face. Kai slid his hands up my legs and gripped my waist. They felt strong and steady. I sat up and ground my hips against him, sliding back and flexing my spine so my ass pressed against his groin. I felt his cock twitch and grow even harder under my touch. He grabbed the hem of my shirt and pulled it up and over my head, then unfastened my bra and cast it aside. I came back down for another kiss and reveled in the touch of skin on skin. Kai started fumbling at the button of my pants, but I gently pushed his hands aside. Not yet, I said. I want a taste of this thing first. I crawled back down the length of his body, then grabbed his pants and pulled them the rest of the way off before kneeling between his spread legs. Kai was fully hard by now, and I bent close and admired his new equipment. It was a beautiful cock, perfectly straight and so thick that my thumb just barely met my middle finger as I wrapped my hand around it. I wrapped my lips around the head and sucked, running my tongue side to side over his frenulum as I slid my hand slowly up and down his shaft. Kai moaned and ran his fingers through my hair, but he let me set the pace. I played with him slowly, experimenting. I ran my open mouth sideways up and down his shaft. I gently fondled his balls while licking and nibbling at his foreskin. I opened my throat and eased him slowly in, taking as much of him as I could. I only managed about half before I started to gag, but I didn't throw up our lovely picnic, so I called that a win. 
By now I was getting wet from the sounds Kai was making, to say nothing of that huge, gorgeous cock just waiting for me. I stood and stripped off my pants and panties, and straddled his waist again. I ran my pussy lips up and down the length of his shaft, soaking him thoroughly from top to bottom. Then I reached down and slowly, carefully guided him inside. Oh my god, you're big, I panted. I wasn't just putting on a show for him either. Apart from one drunken experiment with a novelty dildo during my college years, I'd never felt so full. I was afraid to even let my full weight rest on him, but at the same time I was glad to be in control of the pace. The muscles in my legs got a hell of a workout as I carefully moved myself up and down, forward and back. Kai gripped my ass in both hands and moaned, almost unbelievably loud. Then again, Kai had been a screamer as a woman, so I guess some things carried over. My first climax rose up slowly, spreading waves of ecstasy through my entire body. I held on to my control of the rhythm, slowly, steadily raising myself up and plunging back down on Kai's massive cock. I rode the orgasm like a surfer rides a wave, letting it carry me to even greater heights. The muscles in my pussy clenched down on Kai, making him gasp and moan even louder. When it passed, I found my muscles had relaxed enough to let him in more easily. I knew what I wanted now. I lowered my lips to his, kissed him deeply. Roll over, I said, when we had parted. I want you to fuck me as hard as you can. Kai didn't need much convincing. He gripped my shoulders, flipped me over onto my back, and drove his cock inside me. It felt like I was going to be turned inside out, and I loved it. I gasped in delight. He put one arm around my back, holding onto my shoulder from behind, and gripped the hair at the back of my head with the other. Then he really went to town, thrusting with all his strength while pulling me toward him with both hands. His cock slammed in and out of me like a giant piston. Orgasms exploded through me, one after another after another. I screamed so loud it echoed off the mountainside behind us. Finally, Kai started to grunt in time with his thrusts. His nails dug into my shoulder and clawed at my scalp, gripping my hair so hard it hurt, but I didn't care. Yes, I shouted. Come inside me, Kai. Give it to me. That was all the encouragement he needed. He groaned, his cock pulsed, and he stopped thrusting and held me close as he came inside me. We both gasped and held on to each other as the last waves of his orgasm washed over him. He collapsed on top of me, and I wrapped my arms around him, kissing him like the world was about to end. Because, of course, it was. As we lay there in the afterglow, I gradually became aware that the light had changed. The late afternoon had given way to evening, the sky turning purple overhead. I disentangled myself from Kai and sat up, looking out at the Golden Gate. The sun was already at the horizon, painting the sky in brilliant oranges and reds. Kai, look at this, I said, my voice barely above a whisper. He sat up and wrapped his arms around me, resting his chin on my shoulder. Wow, he said. Yeah, what a view, huh? He kissed my cheek. The best. We sat there in silence, his arms around me, until the sun finally slipped below the horizon. We would never see a sunset like that again.
At roughly 5.27 p.m. tomorrow, Pacific Time, the rogue quark star nicknamed Wormwood would pass between the Earth and the Sun at a relative speed of roughly 5 million kilometers per hour. We only saw it coming because it happened to hit a plutoid on its way through the Kuiper Belt. Pure dumb luck. And by then it was too late to do much of anything. The scientists thought it probably wouldn't actually hit the Sun, so the solar system might go on existing. But that was cold comfort. Given the gravitational forces involved, anything living on Venus, Earth, Luna, or Mars was going to be toast. If we weren't crushed, decomposed into strange matter, or torn apart by wormwood as it passed through, it would fling us out of the solar system, or pull us into a death spiral toward the sun. And if it did hit anything big as it passed through, the gamma-ray burst would be bad news even for our stations at Jupiter and Saturn. Thank all the gods we'd gone to the expense of seeding all those colony worlds over the last century. Even though this was the Earth's last night, it wasn't the end of the human race. I wonder what the people on the colonies will think when they find out about Wormwood, Kai said. True night had fallen now, and it was getting cold up on the hilltop. I started hunting for my clothes. They'll probably just be glad it wasn't them, I said dryly. Those folks left Earth for a reason, remember? They can't possibly be that cold, Kai said. Oh, they'll mourn for a while, I admitted. Probably put up a memorial or something. And then they'll get back to work, surviving. I doubt they're going to have much time to feel sorry for us. Things are tough out there. Hmm. Kai put his own shirt back on, but didn't bother with pants. I wasn't sure whether that was laziness or a desire to keep showing off that cock of his. If you could go to one of the colonies, would you? I scoffed. What, if I got a lottery spot for the evacuation? Wouldn't you? No matter how hard it is on an alien world, it's better than waiting for Wormwood to show up. There was an evacuation, of course. The Colonial Authority had eight interstellar ships in system when Wormwood was sighted, returning to Earth to exchange trade goods and pick up another batch of recruits. They were big ships, and with their white Alcubierre drives, they could get out of the solar system before Wormwood got close enough to threaten them. But each of them only had stasis pods for a hundred thousand people, less than a million seats for ten billion desperate potential passengers. Hence, the lottery. As for everyone else, well, I hear self-termination programs are really reliable and painless these days. You can download them right to your AR implants. No waiting. I don't want to die, Kai said softly. But I've never been off-planet. Earth is all I know, and it's a damned beautiful place. I mean, look at this. He gestured out at the nature preserve, the bay, the Golden Gate, and the lights of San Francisco twinkling above all of it. There's nothing like this on the colonies. Maybe in a few hundred years, but not yet. He shook his head. I'm just not sure I want to go on somewhere else, knowing that everything I loved is gone. He looked over at me, his eyes haunted. And every one. There was something in his tone that gave me pause. I crept closer, looked him in the eyes. This isn't just a theoretical question for you, is it? Kai held his breath for a moment. Then, without saying a word, he gestured for his AR and forwarded a message over to me. 
Mr. Kai Chen Gutierrez. The Colonial Authority is pleased to offer you emergency passage to Heinlein Colony aboard CAS Ready Venture. To ensure that you receive your berth, please board the Chad Skyhook no later than 1415 hours UTC. I gasped. Oh my god! You got a ticket! Kai, you're getting out! I laughed and cried at once, wrapping my arms around him. Bryn. The tension in his arms gave me pause. He gently pushed me back so he could look me in the eyes, and I didn't fight him. The ticket is transferable, he said. I want you to take it. I want you to go in my place. What? Kai, why? Because I love you, damn it! He gripped my shoulders and shook me, not hard, but enough to shut me up. Bryn, leaving you was the stupidest fucking thing I ever did in my entire life, and I knew it less than an hour after I'd done it. I love you. I never stopped loving you. I couldn't bear to look at him. The ten-year-old wound was opening up inside me, like it had never healed at all. Then why didn't you come back? I whispered. Because... Kai stopped, sighed, and lowered his voice. Because I knew I'd broken it in a way that couldn't be fixed. Not then, anyway. You'd never be able to trust me again, and you'd have been right not to. Oh, you might have taken me back, but it wouldn't have been the same. You deserved better than that. He shook his head. Better than me. I thought about Amir, and the things that had eventually driven us apart. That time I'd been the one to leave, and while there had been nights I'd hungered for his touch again, I'd never experienced the sort of guilt Kai seemed to be carrying. Kai, I said, as gently as I could, it's all right. What's done is done. I forgave you a long time ago. Why do you think I answered your message? I took one of his hands in mine. You don't have to redeem yourself by sacrificing your life to save mine. We haven't seen each other in ten years. If you're hell-bent on saving someone else's life, don't you have anyone else to give that ticket to? Kai looked almost ashamed. Nobody who matters to me like you do, he said. Bryn, I know we haven't been talking, but... No. The only person I would have put before you was my husband, and he's past needing it. So why not just use it for yourself? Because... Kai was weeping openly now. I could count on one hand the number of times I'd seen Kai cry. Because a world where I live and you die isn't a world I want to be part of anyway. It's not fair. He broke down into sobs, and I wrapped my arms around him. I lay him back on the blanket again and held him close, not saying anything, not trying to shush him, just holding him. In time, the tears subsided, the shaking stopped, and we sat in silence as the moon rose overhead. The air was cold, but I welcomed it. It meant I was in this world, still feeling, still being. A message reminder popped up in my AR display. I dismissed it. I knew what it said. Right now I needed to figure out what to say to Kai. Telling him about the contents of the message might be worse than saying nothing. Do you think... Kai stopped, sniffed back tears. Do you think if I hadn't left, that we would have found a way to make it work? To be happy?
I considered the question. I don't know. I think we were hurting each other a lot. We were both immature. Maybe we could have grown out of that together, or maybe we had to be apart before we could grow. Kai nodded absently. And if... if we both had tickets to Heinlein, do you think we could have tried again? I caressed his cheek. I do love you, you know. That's not an answer. No, it isn't. I sighed. I'm glad you messaged me. I'm glad we came here, that we had this moment. But sex was never the problem between us, Kai. Even if we did have that second ticket to Heinlein, I don't think we could ever go back to being partners. Kai was quiet for a long moment. You're not just saying that, to try to make me feel better? Kai, the world's about to end. It's a little late for bullshit. That surprised a laugh out of him, and I squeezed him tighter. Look at it this way. Everybody who gets one of those tickets is supposed to get it by dumb luck, right? There's no panel making decisions about who's worthy and who's not. There aren't any famous or powerful people pushing to the front of the line. It's as fair as a random number generator. Nobody who boards those ships tomorrow has to wonder whether they deserve to be there. Deserving isn't the point. They're just lucky, full stop. You follow me? Yeah, he whispered. Now, if I take your ticket, I have to spend the rest of my life knowing that someone chose me to live. Chose my life over your own life, no less. I don't get to say I was lucky. I have to spend every day for the rest of my life wondering whether my life was worth you making that choice. Questioning whether what I'm doing matters enough to be worth a human life. I'm a glorified interior decorator, Kai. How do you think I'm going to feel when I come home from work and look in the mirror? Kai didn't say anything. Look at me, love. I lifted his chin until his eyes met mine. I'm happy you got a ticket. I want you to go out there and live. For however much time I have left, I want to know you're going to be okay. That's what I wanted for you, he said. I know, but you're the one with the ticket. You got lucky, so go be lucky. Let me be a little selfish about this one thing, okay? Give me that. His lips started to tremble again, so I took his head in my hands and kissed him. Let's not say any more about this, I urged him. We have one night, the last night in the world. I want it to be one you remember forever. His sweet, gentle eyes stared into mine probably looking for some sign of wavering, of weakness, something he could use to persuade me to change my mind. But it wasn't there for him to find, and after a time he seemed to recognize it. Then, with tears welling up once more, he took me in his arms and kissed me fiercely. We made love again and again that night, in ways we had never tried before and favorite ways that never grew old. We cried and we laughed and we screamed our orgasms at the cold, distant stars. With our passion, we shouted defiance at the dark, uncaring thing bearing down on our sun and our planet. We did not go gently into that good night. We went loudly, gloriously, vibrantly, in ecstasy and grief, reenacting again and again the carnal act of creation in the face of destruction. In the end... 
the first light of morning began to fill the sky behind our mountainside. The sun's rays touched the top of the San Francisco Arcology, turning the glass of the dome pink and gold. It's time for you to go, I said. You don't want to miss your ride up the skyhook. We both got to our feet, and I embraced him. Thank you for this night, I said. I can't think of anyone I would rather have spent it with. Kai smiled. Not his usual brash grin, but something quieter, more thoughtful. He put a hand on my chest, feeling my heartbeat. I'll never forget you, Bryn. He looked out at the city and the bay, his expression going wistful. I wish I'd have spent more time here. Your city's a beautiful place. Yes, it is, I agreed. I gave him one more kiss, then stepped back, ending the embrace. Now go on. Heinlein's waiting for you. He nodded once. Okay. Goodbye, Bryn. I watched him board his flyer and take off. As it disappeared over the mountain, I let my own tears come out at last. Tears of relief for Kai, and tears of sorrow for my city by the bay. She had been the home of artists and rebels, dreamers and misfits, people desperately seeking their fortunes, and people just struggling to find their next meal. She had been a place of joy and delight at some times, and a den of decadence and hypocrisy at others. She had survived terrible fires and more terrible earthquakes, plagues and riots and crippling depressions. She had endured, adapted, grown and thrived in the face of all of it. Until now. I'll miss you, I whispered, looking out at my city for one last time. I'll never forget you. Then I turned grabbed the picnic basket, and got back into my own flyer. I called up the message reminder I had dismissed last night. Ms. Brenda Vesper Flanagan, the Colonial Authority is pleased to offer you emergency passage to Nova Albion Colony, aboard CAS Hampton Roads. To ensure that you receive your berth, please board the Ecuador Skyhook no later than 1345 hours, UTC. Nova Albion and Heinlein were very nearly in opposite directions from Earth, more than 200 light-years apart. It was very unlikely that they would ever have a regular trade route between them in our lifetimes. For all practical purposes, this was goodbye forever. Maybe it was wrong of me not to tell Kai. Maybe I should have let him know that I was getting out. But it had been ten years since she'd walked out on me and whatever picture of me Kai had built up in her head in the years after that, I was pretty sure it didn't look anything like the person I was now. Better for him to make a new life for himself, with a clean slate, than to spend the rest of his life obsessing over a person two hundred light-years distant, a person he didn't really know anymore anyway. Kai would be all right, I thought. He'd started over before, in ways more profound than I had ever considered, really. He could do it again. I turned my flyer south, set the autopilot for Ecuador, pulled the banana out of the picnic basket, and called up my briefing packet for Nova Albion. I was tired after staying up all night, but there was a lot I still wanted to know about my new home. I would have a long, cold nap in my stasis pod soon enough. 
And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Since I'm recording this ahead of time, there is no weekly writing report this week. I'll check back in with you guys after we get settled, and I'll let you know how my writing has been going for these few weeks that we're in transition. For the same reason, we're not going to have any feedback this week, but I would love to hear what you guys think about this story. If you'd like to leave feedback, please send your comments in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail by calling area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week, folks. We'll be back next week with an interview episode, and then we'll return to Things Unseen in episode 44. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this show are copyright 2015 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.